0: Charlie, Charlie, <laughs> we we're not sure how to say your last name.
1: Wininger, Winninger. it's probably Wininger. You have it on the phone there, Wininger.
0: I oh, yeah, I do.
1: We're gonna get it right, Charlie, for you. Wininger, Charlie, he's a phenomenal guest. We, what was the name of his book? The Becoming uh, X. Ex- listening to ecstasy. Yeah, we gotta restart this. Well, we're g- no, uh, we're keeping
0: it. <laughs> we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna name the pod. We're gonna name the episode. Listening to listening ecstasy. to ecstasy. So it's just it's because it's a perfect name anyway, but um. How about how do we yeah we talked about mdma yeah we, we talked about that simple yeah we really but we, i mean it was it was in depth but it was all about uh like a kind of modern lighthearted usage of psychedelics to improve life yeah you know and we but we you know the the guy is very funny and interesting the book is really great You're, you'll mm. see in the podcast i just i loved listening to the audio he narrates it that's so cool s- and um his wife also comes in and narrates some parts because uh, she's part of the book. It's really, f- it's just he's a he's a great character. The book is a, a labor of love, like he says, and it shows. Oh, that's cool. And um, and yeah, I mean, uh, it left an impression on me. I don't know how oh, you it felt.
1: It made me want to do MDMA now. With really, a yeah, like, <laughs> 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 but like mission accomplished, Charles. <laughs> in <laughs> the like celebratory w- fashion, like he was calling it not recreationally used, but celebratory used. Like these kind of medicines are, he, because MDMA obviously is known as like the party drug. Or the love drug. The love drug, but that's not necessarily a bad thing and in done in the correct setting like fuck yeah why not party i think that's a big thing we spoke about is like enjoy the fucking moment it doesn't have to have the seriousness behind it and yet S- still ceremony still yeah, preparation yeah keeping the ceremony keeping that structure integration afterwards we talked about but that but be also. playful Which enjoy fun, yeah. yeah like how w- can
0: you not be on on like, on e and we
1: have we i think we i don't know if it was on the air with him but uh, off air we were laughing about like you're doing a party drug. Like it's a negative connotation. Like what is that? I think we mentioned
2: it.
0: Yeah.
1: Like, no, I'm just having a better time. I'm at a party and I'm having an increased time. How did that become a bad thing? (laughs) It's party drugs. Humans are funny. We put a label and we, we we clap our hands and wipe off the dust and that's the end of it. But no. Yeah.
0: We want to, we want to know. We want to think we know. So we have a sound bite for for a lot of opinions, but
1: sometimes you just don't know. And if
0: you don't know, now, you know, take some ecstasy, have some fun. Boom. And I thought you uh, were gonna
1: go somewhere else with that. If you don't uh, know, now you know. Yeah, but man. you can't do that. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> you all know I, I won't say anything. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I guess we'll end it there. Like like, subscribe, do the things. We appreciate it. Comment. Uh go check out the book, please. It's on Audible. Go buy the soft or hardcover on I I'm sure it's just a soft it's a pretty short book actually. It's short and sweet. Yeah. Really, really do I'm I a fanboy, honestly. I I I think I even overstepped a little in the podcast. I really enjoyed the book. I loved Charlie. I loved his uh, attitude and Mm. his uh, intelligence and his wisdom. And I can't wait to talk to him again,
1: to be honest. So uh, enjoy. Yeah. And stay curious. Stay curious, curious, curious. curious, curious. (laughs) 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 Every time. What's up, beautiful people? I'm Nathaniel Pearl.
0: And I'm Sammy Sheva.
1: And welcome to Curious Chimps Podcast, a show where we explore the infinite complexities of the human experience.
0: We do not endorse anything illegal. So please, consult the doctors, do your research, and for the love of all that is holy, be safe. All right, let's talk about drugs. Curious, curious, curious chips.
1: Okay, we're good. We're live we're not live but we're, we're live, live. <laughs> we're alive fuck
0: it yeah there you go charles man i'm a fan i gotta
3: charlie. say I, oh
0: good I, charlie charlie Charles. do you have a preference
3: uh charlie is good charlie
0: perfect charlie boy charlie in <laughs> the chocolate factory so yeah man i i'm i'm almost done the book uh-huh. i i'm i'm really glad you have an audio version that you read yourself because you do have a great voice i'm not surprised you were in radio uh but like it's it's really like fuck man it's charming it's it's clever it's like you have this historical vibe like i feel like i'm learning so much it's Mm. also just about your life and you've met some fucking cool people some really interesting you know you name dropped a little bit you know uh, (laughs) yeah yeah but really brush shoulders with some 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 big names you know and you're also just really like optimistic and and happy and it shines through and you're, you're you're poetic and you 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 have all these like you have a lot of like alliteration you know and you're you're it's a very colorful book i really was pleasantly surprised like kind of
1: sounds like mdma <laughs> 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 yeah.
3: all right well you're hired you're, you're now my pr man
1: no problem man <laughs> maybe for some context for our audience uh, if you just want to because we if you want to introduce the book and you and give some context to that beautiful,
3: um, I guess,
1: review.
0: Yeah. Hmm.
3: Okay, well, um, listening to Ecstasy, The Transformative Power of MDMA is my memoir and how to about uh, my experience with MDMA and how it transformed my life and transformed uh, my relationship and soon to be marriage. At the time uh, I'd met uh, Shelly back in 2000 and we've been together 21 years uh, and we were to be married uh, in 2005. And during the early 2000s, we started experimenting with MDMA. And I say experimenting because uh, back in the 90s, I, was, I, I had dropped MDMA from my psychedelic repertoire because um, I was getting bad results because I didn't know the protocols. I didn't know about hydration. I didn't know about sleeping it off and, and uh, 5-HTP and all that good stuff. So I had some bad experiences afterwards, like some people still report mostly because they don't follow the protocols. Uh, but when I met Shelly, she was out of a, uh, fresh out of a uh, repressive marriage and wanted to spread her wings. And when she found out that I was a psychonaut, one who uses psychedelic drugs, she said, I want to try ecstasy. My kids always told me about ecstasy. I want to try it. <clears throat> so. Okay, Uh, so I made sure I educated myself about the protocols and made sure I found something pure from an old head back in the the Lower East Side. And this was like 2002 now. And measured it to make sure it was uh, uh, the right milligram and made sure it was pure, which is of course the key. And uh, because I felt not only responsible for myself but for her too, and we had the perfect set and setting, which I can go into later if you want. It's all in the book, but uh, when she first watching Shelley come on for the first time on MDMA it was like somebody watching somebody wake up from a long sleep, and you didn't even know that they were asleep uh, and She was like coming to, she was like realizing within 10 minutes that this was her medicine of choice. Uh, And that we learned, i learned quite quickly that MDMA and and my wife have much in common. Uh, They're both uh, 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 of the moment and joyful and celebrational. And uh, so she, this, this was just uh, uh, made Shelly, uh, she was alive to begin with, but this made her more so and it be- quickly became the icing on our relationship cake. And uh, 75 rolls later. We are still going strong. We, we do MDMA about five times a year or so. I've never had the Tuesday blues. I've always had positive experiences. And after a while, I found out that this, this medicine was speaking to me and I should listen. It was uh, uh, teaching me a whole curriculum. So I started taking notes and that's where listening to ecstasy came came to fruition uh,
0: uh you you mentioned in the book that you have like not missed one trip in in terms of journaling like you you really did keep notes almost every time so oh, yes is that is that like a that's really the spirit of the book there's just just so much data and so much like literally writing already that that's just kind of it wrote itself in a way
3: well um i, I would like the book to have written itself but no it <laughs> took me six years to to write this book and for any writer out there would would be able to tell you writing is rewriting mm-hmm. uh it's an easy read because it was hard work on my end it shows uh, it's, it's, and, uh... it's fluid
0: yeah and entertaining i really i don't want to give you too much of an ego but I'm really enjoying it <laughs> <laughs>
3: oh go ahead it seems like you really get the book and and uh um I put my heart and soul in it it's, it's certainly a labor of love uh and uh I wrote it because I had to and because I loved it uh, lo- loved doing it and uh it was not not just a story of my life and the story of my life with Shelly, uh, the book goes back to, you know, when I was a child and also, and it shows how I've really been on the same trajectory all my life.
0: Uh, it all makes sense always, like later. Yeah.
3: Yeah, uh, because I've always been about uh, wanting to, for my own reasons, because I felt like so alienated as a, as a young kid um, I was not a popular boy in, in school, I didn't get uh, the girls, uh, which was, you know, what uh, we boys always wanted, except uh, the gay ones, who they, were, they kept in the closet, but uh, the uh, um, guys like me, uh, we just suffered in, 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 in quietly because we were lonely and hankering for female companionship and couldn't get the girls and and uh, I wasn't good at sports. I was pretty sort of uh, lanky and uncoordinated and uh, uh, had pimples and, and, and the whole adolescent bit. And uh, the only people I really associated with were other kids like myself. And we were on the outs and the jocks uh, and the kids into cars and sports and uh, and, and who got the girls uh, and they were on the inside hmm. and then the counterculture came to town in about 1966 which we nerds uh, embraced wholeheartedly because it embraced us and suddenly it was all reversed we were on the inside and the jocks were on the outside looking in saying hey wait a minute what, what happened uh, and uh, and we suddenly, we were the popular kids and uh, we were the hip kids. So it was like exhilarating for me and, and, and the others. And uh, we experimented, of course, with uh, mind-altering substances, most notably marijuana and LSD. Uh, and um, as I write in the book, I grew up with a kid who was himself a mind-altering substance named Andy Kaufman, who uh, uh, any stand-up comedian alive will tell you that they owe something to Andy. And uh, uh, he went on to be big in, on Saturday Night Live and uh, played uh, Latka on a show called Taxi and um, was quite, uh, quite big until he... Uh, passed away at a very young age. Um, but uh, so growing up in my town was quite an experience. But I was a psychonaut, you know, starting uh, close to way back then. And, um, and my whole life has been this trajectory of uh, growth through the embracing uh, alternate means of looking at the world whether that be a counterculture, whether it means uh, exploring spirituality, consciousness, psychedelics, and for me also, growth through psychotherapy. Mm -hmm. I'm not only a psychotherapist, I've been in therapy uh, a long time, Uh, and every kind of therapy you can imagine. And it all wove together for me uh, to make me who I am. It's it's interesting when you start
1: looking at how the path formed and how every avenue was kind of necessary to be where you are right now. And it's like in each moment, it's like it doesn't feel that way and it's hard to even visualize it. But as you ride that wave, it just it all makes sense. And then it becomes a point even where you almost don't want to have it any other way, you know?
3: Right. Yeah. Um, My road was not an easy road. and. I'll tell you this, and I, I like saying this to younger people, and by my age, almost everyone else is younger, because uh, I'm, I'm 72 now, that I'm very grateful to my younger self. I'm very grateful to myself in my 30s and 40s and 50s, who, through various challenges that life threw me like it throws everyone, I decided to take the hard road, meaning uh, really pushing my face into the wind, really doing the hard, emotional, psychological shadow work—that meant uh, facing my demons, uh, learning about who I am, and embracing all the different parts of me. And that—that can be very hard and grueling work for anyone. And I'm so grateful to my younger self for doing that because I now. In, in these later years really benefit.
2: Hmm.
3: Uh, my life is a joyful ride now because of all the hard work I did. And you know, recently I heard uh, what I think is a Chinese phrase, I'm not sure that's what I heard, but um, I don't know who, who uh, made it up, but it says, hard choices, easy life. You make the easy choices, have a hard life. Yeah. That's,
0: I, I feel like that only comes with experience. You have to, well, it, maybe it depends how stubborn the, the kid is, you know, uh, learning that, but you, you seem to, um, in the book, you often, it's the first time I've heard this expression, but you were saying, um, the antidote usually grows next to the poison in the forest or something like that. You know, yes. you, you used it in many different ways. You know, it's like a, it's a, A very apt metaphor for a lot of things so i feel like that's the same spirit you know just looking for like looking for one will give you the other
2: Mm -hmm. you know
0: so Mm -hmm. it's 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 weird it's hard to explain sometimes how um we're we're like looking to escape the aversions Mm -hmm. we end up landing in them we lend we end up like face first in them. well it creates
1: 10 other versions or 10 other i feel like it's just a pattern mm-hmm.
0: i keep thinking about ramdas and how happy he was before he died yes and i just feel like you just practice who you're becoming so mm-hmm. that's just the the like the older people get they just kind of like sharpen whatever they're practicing
3: Yes, I, I suppose so. And uh, there's really no getting around doing the work um, if you're gonna have a satisfying and fulfilling life. And I learned this with, uh, through relationships, which, uh, which has always been my crucible. I mean, I, uh, Shelly is my second wife. Uh, um, my first marriage was uh, following my old patterns you know, and we all have our patterns of the type of people we choose.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: I'd like to say that we tend to choose the same person again and again with a different face each time uh, until we confront and bust our patterns. And I had to because that first marriage was uh, uh, very painful, uh, especially the second half of that marriage. The first half was good, but the second half was rough. And um. Uh, And divorce was uh, grueling. And uh, I got out of that saying, I don't care what I have to do to avoid going through this again. I got to do whatever it takes. And so that for me meant more therapy. It meant not committing to somebody else for many years. I was uh, single and dating around for about eight years after after my, my divorce. Um, and confronting my patterns and, and dealing with uh, um, my relationship crap uh, um, so that when I finally met Shelly, I, uh, I, it was like a revelation to me because she, was, she certainly was different from any other woman I ever knew, any other woman I'd ever been attracted to. Uh, and uh, if I had met her earlier on in my life, I wouldn't have recognized her as being significant. But because I did the work, I was I was ready. When you did the work, so you were doing
1: therapy. Were you working with plant medicines as well during that eight-year period? Uh,
3: yes, um, I was doing. Uh, yes, uh, but most. Of, to be honest, most of that work, this was in the 90s now, um, was with uh, therapy. Uh, I was uh, doing some work with plant medicine, some work with LSD, uh, but uh, most of the work I was just referring to was through, through psychotherapy. And of course, it can be done with, with plant medicines if you have a good guide uh, and uh, who's going to help you through it. Uh, I was curious to ask, um,
0: what do you find would be the danger of not having a guide? If someone is just going to like, you know, Terrence McKenna in a dark room, like uh, with, you know, five dried grams. uh, (laughs) (laughs) Well,
3: yeah. um, Yeah. uh, First of all, I mean, you you need to be prepared. You need to educate yourself before you do anything. Uh, That's part of your mindset. And uh, the setting has to be right, of course, and the dosage has to be right. And certainly, people can do extraordinary, remarkable breakthrough work on their own. But uh, traditionally, uh, as as uh, anyone who's studied shamanism will tell you, uh, who knows the history, uh, shamans were really the first psychotherapists. Uh, um, it's better to do it with a guide, somebody who's been there and who's done that and who knows the territory and knows how to uh, uh, keep you uh, dealing with what you came to deal with. So uh, a guide is not essential, but I believe a good guide will speed the process.
1: Yeah, I agree completely. And looking back at my psychedelic experiences in the beginning, it was always doing it with a couple friends, but we're all in our own space, not really guided. And now I've been working with ayahuasca with facilitators. And looking back at that journey, it's just like, there's no other way for me in my mind to do it these days is having that guide or that ceremonial setting. Like you said, it amplifies the work, And really, you can open so many layers when you have that, that surrounding um, protected and safe for you to experience without really worrying about those, I call them like 3d problems, you know? (laughs) Yeah. So you just you're in your experience, and you're just with a good guide, they're just allowing you to access all those doors of perception.
3: Right. And the guide will, of course, take care of the the setting the context uh, so that you don't have to like you say you don't have to worry about all that and you know that you're safe and uh, there's going to be no interruptions and uh, and that person is dedicated to just being present for you that's where it
1: gets exciting to see the therapies coming back because you you were a part of the sixties and seventies and seeing these things go from widely used and spread to just slam ban and no more, yeah, and now seeing it come back, but in that in that clinical setting where you have um psychologists becoming guides now, and actually one of our previous guests was just saying they're going to be offering a teacher program for psycho psycho psych, psychologists and psychotherapists to do and to eventually lead an ayahuasca ceremony through Mm. that training program so it's Mm -hmm. it's amazing to see how medicine and like this this deeply historical um use of medicine we've been using for thousands of years is kind of meeting together now
3: in, in the clinical world yes and you know i feel bad for most psychotherapists i know um I'm in New York City, which is one of the world's hubs of psychotherapy, because people here who live in New York need it the most, uh, uh, including myself. And uh, most therapists are, still look askance at, at uh, psychedelics um, and uh, don't really understand their power and efficacy and they're going to be left behind because uh uh within 5 years especially when mdma becomes legal in a couple of years there's going to be a swelling of demand mm-hmm. for therapists who know the territory and who can guide them mm-hmm. and um therapists who are not trained and don't whether underground trained or, or above ground and don't know how to do this are going to be left behind in the stampede towards using MDMA, for example, or psilocybin Mm -hmm. or ayahuasca for the purpose of personal growth, because it's true that, uh, and I've I've been hearing this for years, and I I, I believe it, that uh, a therapist can do six to 12 months worth of therapy in a day with a good medicine.
0: Yeah, that's the... That's why they that stampede that you're talking about. It's like analog versus digital. It's purely just more effective at this point, faster.
3: That's right. Yeah.
1: That's right. Yeah. And it's. I like that you use the word stampede because it really gives me a visual sense of... <laughs> it, it's a great depiction of what I'm visually seeing in my mind. It is a stampede. So many people in need, yeah. tripping over each other, and some
0: real answers are finally coming out, you know, like some real help. Yeah. Yeah. Well, not well, to something... not to discredit the no. help they were getting before, but it's but now there's it's... so many people. Yeah. People are so busy. Anyone in the medicinal like venue is is overwhelmed. Hmm. If you can yeah. help people faster, that's just helpful. <laughs>
3: that's right. Help the helpers. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's like imagine being a physician and uh it's like a physician in the what was it 1950s learning about penicillin you know it's that type, that type of breakthrough yeah um that's a, a drug that can just a shot can heal people and and uh and, and prevent disease and so it, it's that kind of breakthrough so um it's happening now that's one reason why these are such exciting times in this psychedelic renaissance.
1: Let me ask mm-hmm. you this, because you're coming from a time where the wave peaked, and you were part of the psychedelic world where just, I don't know how crazy it must have been back then. But then to see it gets, read, read the book, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But we can tell by the music it was a great era. But uh, to see going from that to like a complete blank end without any deceleration just a hard stop and that carried on for 30 40 plus years and now it's coming back like what the hell does that feel like as someone who's lived through both experiences
3: well you have to understand that what stopped was the research what stopped was what happened above ground Uh, uh but the underground never stopped people never stopped it's not like nobody was taking psychedelics in the 80s and 90s. Uh, people were, and uh, but we, we kept it really quiet because we were afraid not only of being busted, we were afraid of being stigmatized. <clears throat> and of course, the stigmatization is still there, mm-hmm. although that's fading. Uh, and uh, of course, there's a wave of legalization happening now too, but... Um, uh, we just kept going and, and and kept quiet about it. And uh, and I, uh, to be honest, um, I'm a little embarrassed to say this, but it's really true. I struggled with, I guess what I, you would call internalized shame and the way I was raised uh, in my household, my parents, as as most parents did at the time, and probably many still do, is control their kids through shaming them when they did something wrong. So I was very susceptible to, uh, to being shamed. And so when psychedelics were stigmatized, and we entered the just say no period of time, I internalized some of that. And I thought, um, not only did I need to keep it quiet because um, I didn't want to get busted, but because I was a little ashamed, and I'm sorry to say it, but I had to deal with this demon inside of, of, of shame that I, I use psychedelic drugs. Uh, and with the, the renaissance happening beginning in 2000, i started confronting this demon part of the psychological work i was doing with my shadow side and realized that it was just a bully demon and uh, uh and needed to be confronted and uh eventually was able to get on the other side of that and realized ashamed no i have i have something to be proud of i don't have a a drug problem i i, I have a drug solution um and i'm i want to carry the flag so
0: it's amazing how that coin flips like they don't it doesn't you wouldn't even think it's the same coin but it's Mm -hmm. like you have this thing that you know like you know for whatever personal reason you're just you people might feel judged by society or by their peers or something and you you internalize that because you know reasons parents like you said whatever but yeah it's it's also almost exasperated by being a psychonaut because you're you're like uh regularly emotionally spiritually like flayed by by these substances and and if Mm. anything just more sensitive which Mm -hmm. yeah that's true a benefit yeah it's true yeah i can't imagine i mean i feel like a lot you know they're I I had to come out of this kind of psychedelic closet at some point as well, too, with friends, uh, co-workers. Anyone can see the podcast, you know, my family. But I feel like it it was way easier for me because even before it was getting legalized and and there's a lot of, you know, data to be like, this is helping people. It just seemed like, oh, yeah, that's like a technology that's been around for a while. Like, you're one of those. Like, they can kind Mm -hmm. of put you in a box and, and be like, unless they've had really bad experiences with it, it's you're kind of, you know what? Now that I say it out loud, that's not much better though. You just like being dismissed is just a quiet bullying. (laughs) So I kind of, I kind of just stumped my own sentence a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I'm, I'm with you now. I feel proud as well. I feel, I hear, I mean, we've interviewed so many cool people who, I think, who are helping people. I think this podcast
1: had a big, big thing on that for us because, Even I think from the first episode, I was more quiet about my psychedelic use, at least with my family. All my friends knew about it. But as this podcast started progressing and I kept attending ayahuasca ceremonies and telling my parents I'm going to some yoga retreat, I realized at some point, (laughs) what the fuck am I going to a yoga retreat for? No, I believe in this medicine. It's like this medicine has done so much work for me and allowed Mm. me to heal so much. How could I even contain it in a lie because it makes someone more comfortable hearing the lie versus what i'm actually doing it's like that's counterintuitive to the psychedelic experience so yes so it's like it all kind of oozed out of me at at the time when i just felt the most proud about it and i haven't looked back since Mm. Mm.
3: well that's that's great i'm i'm happy to hear that for you and Uh, You know, there's still shaming that goes on now, even within the psychedelic community, Mm -hmm. uh, because first of all, there are people who are, there's sort of a a snobbery that I experience from people who are just into plant medicine about people who are into so-called synthetic psychedelics. Mm -hmm. Um, Albert Hoffman, who discovered LSD said, People who distinguish between plant medicines and synthetic psychedelics uh, and say, uh, talk and, and uh, emphasize the difference between the t- the two don't really understand the nature of consciousness. Mm. Um, all these substances uh, um, help dissolve the ego temporarily and all send you on, Uh, similar paths. And so there's a snobbery uh, from some people, not all people, but some people in the plant medicine community towards people like myself who embrace MDMA, for example. Um, So, uh, and there's also a snobbery or or shaming uh, for people who are, uh, who say, well, I use this for Therapeutic purposes, I don't use it for frivolous reasons. And what they're really saying is that I'm not like those other people who do psychedelics for recreational purposes. Mm -hmm. I'm more serious and therefore better than them. And I'm very sensitive to that type of distinction. And Mm -hmm. one of the themes of my book is that play, fun, celebration, and joy can in themselves be not only valuable but transformational experiences.
0: Yeah, oh, it sounds, sounds like, a, yeah, no, just we just heard a, a honk there. I don't know if it, it picked up on the mics. Honk on to, the truth. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's it. it was a little, little universe emphasis, little exclamation point there from, from the spirits. I, 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 I gotta say, um. I was one of those people without even knowing it. Hmm. And I I thought about it a long time because your book really did kind of help me turn that page, pun not intended. Um, Mm -hmm. But like there's some kind of association. There's some kind of weird thought that I had and a lot of other spiritual and, and, and plant medicine, like facilitators, a lot of people in my life have noticed this about me and told me that it's not necessarily a good thing. But it's like some kind of belief, some kind of core belief, really, that I think I need to suffer in order to Mm. to expand and to learn and to become a better person. And it's not the same with everybody, but my psychedelic experiences are usually not comfortable.
3: You Mm -hmm. know, I learn to
0: manage that and to understand that. But I still, you know, I still feel like I'm tumbling down a, a steep hill most of the time. Whereas like, you know, you talked about this kind of, like, think about anyone who's had an MDMA experience. It's like a gift. You're having a great time. You feel so good. Usually, and, yes. Yeah, uh, Yeah. I would hope so. Yeah, most of the yeah. time. And yeah. you want to dance, you want to move, you want to hug people.
3: And, and I certainly don't want to uh, denigrate uh, people who have rough psychedelic experiences. Uh, you know, we used to call those trips bummers, like just bad trips. And now we understand that they're, uh just difficult trips and difficult experiences that can hold a, a, a kernel of, of 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 a diamond in the middle of them because uh you can learn so much and another reason to have a guide because a guide can help you through the darkness uh, so uh if you're having a uh, a difficult psychedelic journey and and suffering to use your word uh, that can really be a, a tremendous spiritual opportunity. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, uh, but uh, MDMA uh, is usually, uh, at least for, for me and uh, for my friends, uh, uh, a celebrational. I like that word even better than recreational. A celebrational drug and or medicine and and um, can be used to. Uh, um, touch the uh tickle this the uh the the belly of heaven and uh try to coax it down to earth like a party medicine (laughs) you know like people party medicine (laughs) i like that (laughs) say
0: party drug and it almost sounds like you're it does seem like uh what's the word derogatory is that right Mm -hmm. yeah yeah right like you're belittling it or trying to uh, inflate the dangers you know like it's flippant it's a party drug it's like right parties are good (laughs) parties are supposed to be good
1: (laughs) that's right But if you think about that phrase party drug like what does that even mean (laughs) you know that's it it's like it doesn't mean
0: anything it's like this throwaway experience you're letting your guard down it's flippant and that's bad and it's like what yeah how we talk has been mutating slowly under the hood for so long and now everyone's just crazy
1: which <laughs> <laughs> so is being revealed but yeah. i think that what you're talking about is um something a concept i'm still trying to fully understand but the it's my facilitator called it he coined it He probably didn't even coin it but he told it to me it was the spiritual ego kind of gets involved and although mm. you're doing all this kind of work and really healing traumas you're creating this bigger beast that all of a sudden is like standing up higher and higher and saying hmm this is the work I have done and you children are going to a party and playing this is not what it's about yes <laughs> and it's like, exactly
3: right yeah, yeah
1: that thing forms that thing is insidious and it hides everywhere and it's mm-hmm. you know and that's why I see that too in the community where where I've I've worked with 5MEO quite a few times and a lot of questions I get in privately is was it synthetic or was it the toad and uh-huh the way I look at it, I actually prefer the synthetic because mm. you're getting the actual isolated molecule that you need versus whatever else is in the, the tone, yeah. either or, but this mm-hmm. idea of if it's synthetic, it's no good is a, yeah. it's a strange concept, especially when yeah. we're talking about experiences and where we're, what we're actually experiencing rather than the molecule itself, you know?
3: Right, exactly. It's all chemistry. It all comes down to chemistry. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah.
1: You,
0: uh, I, I'm going You mentioned in the book. That's like my catchphrase for this podcast. <laughs> but uh, it's fresh in my mind. You, you did talk about quickly. You mentioned how there's there's even the separation sometimes of, of certain molecules, so that people are just getting medicinal effects. Um. So. Um,
3: not sure what you mean
0: there uh maybe i'm mixing it up maybe it wasn't in your book but th- there's there's yep. often like let's say with iboga or um i can't think of another example right now but iboga is a good one yeah i think with psilocybin also they're, they're they've, they've found a way to like imagine getting some kind of like some molecular benefits that m- might help the like the neurology or who knows what but there's no actual trip
3: Ah, yes. I, I don't discuss that in my book, but I uh, there's cried. certainly a lot lot of work going on right now, especially in the new companies, the psychedelic companies that are uh, emerging uh, to try to play with these molecules. And they want to take the, uh, the trip experience, many of them uh, want to find molecules that take the trip experience out of it and just give the other benefits, which... Um, uh, I don't like that idea. Um, Maybe it's going to be beneficial to a lot of people, I I can't say, but uh, so much of the benefit that you get from psilocybin, for example, is that it does dissolve the ego temporarily. uh, And it does uh play with your consciousness and turn off the default mode network in the brain for several hours so that the brain can make connections that it would ordinarily not make and you can see things in a totally new way and like uh why cast that out Mm um they're trying to find molecules that they can sell over-the-counter in 20 years to, uh, to to people like aspirin. Um, and so, yeah, these companies want to make a, a fortune, and maybe they will. But um, I hope there will always be those who understand the value of tripping. And, uh, and uh, the, the word we use for MDMA, of course, is rolling.
1: I'd like to know more about the MDMA experience as opposed to other plant medicines and psychedelics, because, mm-hmm. so I did it once. I think we spoke about this over the phone. Um, I was at a a rave slash club where it was like a club, but that's like simulates what a rave would be like. It's just a big venue. And I took uh, probably way more doses than I should have. I had no, no idea what I was doing. I just kept, I think I took two or three pills that night without actual oh. measurement okay i I did a phenomenal experience but i remember for a month after i was just in the dumps i don't know i didn't i didn't do any work on the after effects where something like ayahuasca or something i actually felt feel a little bit tired the day after but then i'm supercharged
3: yes ayahuasca is the one medicine that does not require that you pay an energy debt energy debt. It's actually uh the opposite especially if you keep the uh dieta going the the diet going that you had going into the experience and you keep that going afterwards uh you can stay not high but humming for weeks on end so true afterwards elevated yes yeah yeah absolutely absolutely so um um, did you have a question in there? I guess, yeah,
1: I guess, like, how
3: does MDMA differ from
1: those medicines? And maybe also we can get into the aftermath of after the experience
3: and how to properly uh, sure. integrate back into, into normal life. Sure. Yeah. And, and integration, of course, is the yeah. key to any good experience like this. Uh, without the integration, it just becomes a distinct uh, experience for a day and or a night, and and uh, ultimately doesn't have to make a difference in your life. But integration is the key. And um, uh, there's a section in the book called uh, um, uh, "Avoiding the How to Avoid the Tuesday Blues." And like I say, Shelley and I have never once had to uh, suffer from that because. Um, uh, maybe because of our age when we started we were you know uh, in our early 50s when we started together and i felt responsible for to her and, and for her good time and so i made sure i was pretty conservative and the dosage and, and and all that so we would never do two or three times the dose in a, in a night we would never mix it with alcohol or any other drug, for that matter, for many years, except eventually we would mix it with cannabis towards the end of uh, of the roll. Um, and so, so there you are. There's, the, the, the protocols are very simple. Uh, you first and foremost uh, test it beforehand whether it's a tablet or powder, and you can test it uh, using, going to dancesafe.org, just like it sounds, dancesafe.org on the internet. Get yourself a dance kit, a dance kit, a a testing kit, uh, which is uh, (laughs) not not too expensive and, and, uh, of course, legal, and you test it. And if you have a decent dealer, you can test it before you buy it, but you certainly have to test it before you use it. And only, only, only use pure MDMA. If it's anything else in there, you don't want it. And so we only use pure MDMA. We have a good scale, which these days are cheap online. And, and, uh, uh, to describe the scale also uh, in, in, in the book. And so we weigh it to the milligram. And uh, we never did more than 120 milligrams for the first dose these days because we're older and more sensitive to all drugs. We do less than 100. And we never boost with more than half the initial dose so at, uh, when we were doing 120, we never boosted with more than 60 mm. a few hours into the high. And, uh, and we don't boost a second time. And at the end, when we're done and we come down, Shelly has prepared, God bless her, a, uh, a wonderful hearty soup, mm-hmm. uh, nutritious soup for us to, uh, to, to, to eat. Down, yeah, to eat whether we're hungry or not um, before we go to sleep and we sleep it off and at my age I'll sleep 10, 11 even 12 hours I don't care whatever my body needs uh, you probably uh, most people your age will probably won't have to sleep that long but you need a good night's sleep and, uh, and that same night uh, when I go to sleep I take 100 or 200 milligrams of 5-HTP, which is an over-the-counter medication, a herbal supplement that helps replenish the, the serotonin. And I take another 100 and 200 milligrams the following night at bedtime as well. And we follow these protocols, and they work like a charm for us.
1: Very cool. Where were you four years ago? <laughs> <laughs> you got to burn to learn, my friend. Yeah, really. <laughs> That's kind of why it turned me off of MDMA is because of that, that mm-hmm. after effect. And I, I really enjoyed the experience. I really felt, although my setting wasn't my ideal setting, it was still a, a rave is very interesting because it is like a ceremonial moment where we're all mm. embracing the beautiful music collectively but i just I, I guess for me at least in that state where i was in it wasn't the perfect setting but it turned out to be perfect but the after effect is what really turned me off and yeah, sure the now that i think about it is we never actually tested this i just trusted my my friend's source mm-hmm. like all of us do and now that these test kits are so widely available like put an exclamation mark on that because that's super important
3: Part of what I want to do with the book, part of my purpose is to call people back to MDMA. People like yourself who might have said, Oh, yeah, it was great, but then I came down and stayed down for weeks and I can't do that anymore. Matter of fact, I and then I did too much LSD one dime and I can't do that anymore. So, and they closed the door to all of it because they didn't know how to use it uh, wisely. And so, um uh they had bad experiences and of course you can have terrible experiences with any of these substances they're very very powerful psychoactive agents Mm. um so i want to call people back and say look don't throw out the baby with the bathwater here don't 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 shut the door completely yes you shouldn't do it like you did it you got to do it in in, in in a wise way where you really understand uh, the power of the medicine and respect its power. And if you do it the right way, uh, with emphasis on these protocols and on set mindset and setting, uh, you can have experiences that can be among the most transformational and joyous experiences of your life.
1: Yeah. Uh, I'm very open to it. And I think this conversation's is even reigniting that little, that little curiosity. You know. A party, man? <laughs> uh, the, like, obviously it's so subjective, but for setting, what would in your eyes be the ideal setting for something like this?
3: Well, certainly for the first time, uh, one should be at home. Uh, and if you have roommates, um, then... Sure. Got to ascertain, you know, what's may, maybe just in your room alone, or in your room with a guide, or in your room with a partner, or in your room with a uh, a trusted friend. Um, who you who's around you is the most important aspect of your setting. Uh, so you have to pay particular attention to that,
2: mm.
3: uh, and be in a place where you know you're safe, mm. and you turn. The phone off. <laughs> it's good to have a clock nearby so you could um, pay attention to the time if you wish, but you turn the phone off because the last thing you want to do is to be tempted to answer a text or a phone call and be diverted uh, uh, by no 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 you need to be in complete control of your environment as much as humanly possible
0: i mean you're saying to to be careful of like who who's in there with you you know not even yes. your roommates that have like if they're good friends yes you know it's like the phone is everybody so right there's just a 50 50 chance whatever notification goes off it might totally screw your mood up i guess that's right like we said before that's you're just right. so vulnerable and so with M D with my personal experience as well you're so empathetic you're so you're so like in need of and willing to give love yes so it's just like it's you like it's like a child it's like you're just so squishy I,
3: I like how you're putting this because it is a vulnerable childlike position that you're in and you need to respect that uh and uh treat the uh treat yourself like you would take care of a Mm -hmm. five-year-old and the first thing you do what's your first role in dealing with any five-year-old is to protect them and protect them from any possible harm including emotional harm from anybody Um, so uh you need to be protective and and caring and 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 loving and tender towards that that innocent child and make sure that uh, that child does not get exposed to anybody who's going to uh, even inadvertently hurt them.
1: I think that's a really big point is because I do hear stories where people explain very bad experiences and then whether it's mushrooms, LSD or, or MDMA or anything else and I ask them like, what was the, or I don't even, sometimes the, just the detail comes out, but I can ask. And then they say, yeah, my friend was watching this really violent movie and it was just, my experience was just tainted by that. And I, I got like anxiety and stress. And I think when you're venturing into these spaces, creating a ceremonial environment, it doesn't have to be as ceremonious as uh, as an ayahuasca experience or or anything. But what I mean by that is just creating a safe space where the experience is in the spotlight and everything is taken care of around it. So you don't have these little distractions that can really set the mood off and you honor the experience, you know?
3: Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Because like Sammy said, you're super vulnerable. And especially with uh, something like MDMA, where it's really peeling away layers and this love and childlike behavior kind of comes out a little bit. If you hit resistance by, by, uh, by external factors that can really harm that fragility, that fragile
3: part of you. Right, so to just continue with your original question about setting, um, I'm talking about now the first time, or times that you do a medicine like MDMA, after you get experience and you know the territory, especially with something like MDMA, mm-hmm you can enter a situation like a rave, um, and Shelley and I have have certainly gone to our share, Uh, and it can be because you're then in an environment where, what's the music called, EDM? Uh, One person said that EDM stands for everyone's doing Molly. (laughs) Um, So uh, you're in a situation where everyone is there to celebrate, everyone is there for, for, for joy and connection uh, and it can be an exhilarating experience and, and, and transformational also mm-hmm. but even then you want to go with your friends you don't don't go to that alone um, so that you have friends to uh, uh, bounce off of uh, during the course of the night and uh, just in case you need you need to
1: yeah, the, the friend thing is a big one because I remember that night, I'll never forget it, but there was moments where I kind of get lost in the crowd and then I just like look and then I just see my friend like telepathically connected. She's looking back at me
3: and we, we lock eyes. And we're just like, yeah, we're good. And we just continued. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and you know what? That's like, I mean, you're talking to a psychotherapist here. That's like the childhood state because what does a five-year-old need? If you've ever seen a five-year-old outside with its mother or father, they'll like go off and start exploring and then they'll come back mm. to just touch base and, 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 and hug their mother, hug their father, and then go off and explore again. Yeah. And we're in that very vulnerable childlike state when we're high on something like uh, MDMA. Mm.
1: That's funny. It's like we
3: need, that, we need that reassurance. Yeah. Re-
0: that's that's the word.
3: Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that that support too. I think I think a lot of these stories where bad trips occur is where those kind of um pillars are not taken care of or put up in place, you know. Good environments, yeah. good friends around you and offering you that kind of support because yeah. if you start having a freak out and your friends pull out a phone and start filming you or making jokes or messing with you that's a, yeah. that's that can be adding years of trauma to your life
3: sure you know, just in that one moment sure sure yeah these are very potent medicines and most some of the most psycho uh most potent uh, psychoactive medicines on the planet and uh we need to respect their power without getting into such
1: crazy scientific detail i just what's I'm curious about how MDMA affects the brain as opposed to other stuff like, like like a ayahuasca or LSD or mushrooms.
3: And if it's out of your field, well, don't worry about it. I'm just I can I, I'm not a scientist, but I can speak a little about it. Uh, MDMA releases uh, serotonin in the brain and in the gut, uh, so your system gets flooded with your own serotonin uh, and uh, also oxytocin. Serotonin is the feel good hormone, uh, and mood uplifting, and oxytocin is the bonding uh, Mm. hormone where you feel in sync with others. Mm. So uh, uh, whereas like a simple amphetamine, you might feel good, um, but you don't feel that empathy and that bonding. So MDMA, uh, uh, you feel both. And uh, so you're flooded with serotonin and oxytocin, and uh, this, this combination is where the magic happens uh, because um, uh, you feel tremendous feelings of well-being and safety, uh, as well as connection and empathy with others. And so if you have a guide, you can really go deep, and that's what they do in these clinical trials for people suffering from the worst cases of post-traumatic stress disorder Uh, and uh, um, the the trauma can emerge uh, and they can go back to the scene of of the trauma without freaking out because they're feeling so safe Mm -hmm. and held by the medicine and the setting and the guide and uh, um, so it's uh, as one person described it, uh, facing that trauma on your MDMA is like watching a shark in a tank Mm -hmm. in an an aquarium where you're you're outside the tank watching the shark and it's scary and big and awful, but it can't hurt you. Mm -hmm. And uh, So that can transform your relationship to the trauma and that's where the healing happens.
0: I wonder, like, so it's it's really good in this context of, of like reframing your past traumas is, I wonder if people are like, um, like irresponsibly, like just taking MDMA and then go like before they go to a therapy session, and it's not necessarily a therapist that is like trained in psycho assisted therapy, like psych- psychedelic assisted therapy. I don't know if there'd be much of a danger there. It might just be kind of odd.
3: <laughs> but, you mean for somebody to arrive in the therapist's office and they're rolling and they don't tell the therapist?
0: Yeah, yeah that seems... Uh,
3: a good wow. therapist will be able to tell there's something going on.
0: Yeah, like I don't think it would be dangerous, but I think it'd be a bit of a waste if at work, yeah. you know? Yeah, I
3: agree. But, That's funny. But
1: so how does, a ther- how does the actual clinical setting work now with these MDMA therapies? Because it is basically that, but just both parties know about it.
3: Yes, uh, both, both parties know about it. And um, in the trials... Uh, um, but these are there's... long sessions, right? These are... Yes. Uh, well, first of all, it's, uh, this is all about context. So it's, there were many preparatory sessions beforehand followed by a day with the medicine, followed by integration sessions afterwards, Um, several integration sessions. So it's all done just in in the right way. But the day of uh, where the person does the MDMA, there are two therapists there. Uh, They've experimented with a male and female therapist, and now there are other combinations, but there are two therapists there. And um, it's, uh, in a setting that looks like, I guess, a cross between a home and an office, uh, very comfortable. Um, there's, uh, music available, uh, soft lighting, um, and, uh, often a blindfold for the person if they choose to use it. Mm. And, uh, therapists will encourage the person to go inward and maybe just listen to the music sometimes on headphones uh, and with blindfolds and then come out when they're ready to talk about what's going on and with these clinical trials with people with ptsd what tends to go on is that people without the therapist saying okay now go back to the time where um that person raped you or or that uh, the enemy fired upon you in Iraq or whatever. no, they don't have to do any of that. Uh, they don't they don't direct the session. they let the medicine direct the session and usually what happens is the trauma just naturally emerges because people feel so safe because of the medicine and the environment, the setting um, that, uh they the, the the trauma just emerges and they start talking about it and processing it in 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 this new way where they're supported by the medicine
1: that's beautiful
0: yeah it sounds like like therapy steroids almost like it's really like you're talking about the oxytocin like you're really getting the person to be more trusting and opening in such a perfect setting where where that's going to benefit them and where and like you said they don't even need to pry they don't even need to like re-traumatize this person and and dredge things up it just kind of starts bubbling up that's really cool
3: yeah it's uh from what i hear it's it's uh it sounds miraculous
1: how long is that that session usually now
3: it lasts as long as it needs to uh i think they Usually offer boosts uh, and and some time after the initial dose, so it can last six, seven, eight hours, or whatever whatever the person needs. Uh, uh, The therapists don't leave the room until the person is back down at baseline uh, for a while, and then um, in these clinical trials, the person sleeps over in the same place. Oh yeah, yeah.
1: Hmm. It's gonna reshape the way therapy is thought to be Oh yes think about how um, medicalized and how um, I don't even know the words to use for it but like you book slots and it's one hour or one hour and a half two hours whatever it is work and then you integrate at home and come back a week later but imagine your therapist is you're 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 uh you're staying on the couch that night and then it's an 8-hour experience and then Having a sleepover sleepover (laughs) more in that (laughs) childlike
0: vibe yeah yeah less um it's warmer it's less cold and less like systematic and just like you feel like you don't feel like you're on a conveyor belt at an airport like you don't feel like luggage
1: and i feel like a big thing about because i have a lot of friends that see psychologists and they say one of the big things i hear is that they feel like it's a business transaction in a sense where they mm. feel like, yes, they're being heard, but it's so by the clock or by the book. And then, oh, we got to cut it here. We're gonna, And I don't blame them. Like, that's the system we're in. And you have yeah. to make a living and you have a schedule. But I feel like psychedelics, it's so funny, it's happening, but it's blurring those lines a little bit of that. Like Yes. It's not yeah. getting rid of professionalism, but it's kind of blurring those lines that we've created, those like those strict barriers that this is how I act here and you know it's kind of like opening the doors a bit more and I think that's what people loan crave for and that's part of the healing process
3: absolutely and uh the way these therapists conduct these sessions is that they're uh they come from a place of humility and like it's not like they don't cop the attitude of like I'm the healthy doctor and you're the sick patient no, uh, you know, you're somebody who wants to deal with issues. And I'm another human being with a certain expertise, but I'm here as a human to just guide you and be real with you. Mm -hmm. um, And get off of these crazy roles that uh, we play uh, traditionally in, in my profession and in society, where we all play these, these roles that box us in and keep us from being full fully three-dimensional human beings
0: yeah it's like more like a maintenance like you say you still uh have your own like your own therapy sessions you know like it it's like brushing your teeth or i guess getting a massage because there's somebody there's an expert that needs to be there to make it happen but uh there's no shame in it like at Mm -hmm. all Yeah. yeah
3: yeah and um uh, so I, what I try to do, I don't do medically assisted therapy, unfortunately, but at least not yet, I look forward to the time when I can, but um, I do try to bring my understanding of the MDMA experience into the therapy room. In that my, I feel like my job is to make my client, and I prefer that word to patient, mm. feel safe and feel held by me. I'm not physically held, but emotionally held. And, mm. uh, and I'm there to listen to them as deeply as possible, bring my heart in there as well as my mind, and um, receive them, um, and uh, simulate the MDMA experience in a way where they feel safe enough to let their defenses come down, and. Mm and uh, And often what happens then uh, is that their 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 real inner wisdom can emerge, and they can solve their own problems just by listening to themselves talk and letting that deeper wisdom come out.
0: so you're just a really, really, really good, genuine listener a lot of the times
3: That's my job, yeah, is to uh is to deeply listen, uh, which is a, a skill that we're not born with, uh, but, um, certainly anyone can learn. Do you, what do you think
0: about like, um, there's a kind of trope with, with therapy, any kind of medicine where you you have to compartmentalize, you know, you have to not take your work home, not, not get invested in, like as someone who's, you know, like your heart is busted open, you know, like, uh, by and with, uh, mdma and your your life and your wife and all these things you know like how, how do you what does that what does that sound like and what, how like do you just trust in your skills or do you just get invested and deal with it or? i
3: mean do i go home each night and just cry and beat pillows um <laughs> <laughs> sometimes i feel like it yeah. uh, um i mean there is a i guess a certain amount of compartmentalizing that goes on just because i'm seeing somebody for 50 minutes and then Soon afterwards, I'm seeing somebody else for another 50 minutes, et cetera. Um, So I have to maintain some sense of uh, emotional boundaries so I don't, you know, end up emotionally bleeding from one client as I'm about to see the next. But that said, I'm still, my job is to be there with a whole heart and an open heart if I can have the skill to muster it at that moment. And, uh, and, and that's what it means to truly listen and to deeply listen and to truly receive somebody. It's with an open heart. And uh, that means that um, part of my job is to be skillfully there as a human being and, uh, and vulnerable myself.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And uh, sometimes, uh, not too often, um i'm sharing my own experience with a client when it's appropriate i don't i don't want to make the session about me but sometimes it's appropriate to share uh, my own experience Uh, and uh, that can be uh, of course very very helpful and vulnerability can be uh contagious in a very good way yeah
1: that's super true i I love to go into the integrative aspect of these medicines. And I would, I was going to bring it up also. We got it, bro.
0: It's because it's, it's, it seems like a meme. It can be a little ambiguous sometimes. It has Mm -hmm. been for
1: me. And like to understand the full range of that word, it's like I kind of learned integration over the years uh, by stumbling around and mistakes that kind of naturally forced me to integrate, but to have like a, a more concrete idea of the word, I think, for our audience could be really valuable, too. And especially if something like MDMA is like, how do you, what's the stages of integration? What do you do after that experience?
3: It's a short question with a long answer. Um, <laughs> uh, how much time do we have? Uh, so uh, the first thing is after the experience uh, is to... Uh, hang out with yourself with it uh and preferably with a journal or anything creative that you want to do as a part this comes out of stan groff's work uh, with lsd and he'll, he'll sometimes have people uh, with with colored pencils or paints uh, uh, to draw pictures um uh, anything creative uh, movement uh um Uh, song uh, making music writing is uh, perhaps uh, one of the best ways like a journal Uh, and then to share that with your guide afterwards uh, and to deal with the stuff that came up during your experience and talk it through and to do the type of therapy that that I do and that I believe in it's not only just talking about it but going through experiential exercises to really uh, confront demons or or sh- the shadow side uh, and and deal with uh, uh, to do the hard work of of, of, of therapy of, of Dealing with uh, the difficult stuff that came up—that might have made you cry, or that might have made you scared, uh, might have made you furious—and hmm. um, and and uh, processing it through. And this is a this is uh, you, you can do one trip or one roll and process it for months and months and even years hmm. if it's a profound enough experience so that's the beginning of the answer to your question about integration it's an ongoing experience and then there are other ways of integrating it into your life uh, such as you might decide like well i don't have a very good relationship with my body i need to start doing yoga or i need to start eating better uh i need to really work out and, and exercise better and honoring my body more that's integration Mm -hmm. so there are all kinds of ways of integrating as an experience that's cool i i guess um
0: maybe in a maybe in a kind of defensive way i i am real like it's not witchcraft you know like it's it's easy to avoid but it's really just identifying what came up in the trip and then chewing on it uh yeah one way or another, and it's almost like ammo for future therapy, or like you said that's like, right that's 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 plain that's English. right that's,
3: yeah, that works <laughs> yeah, that works a lot actually it, it, it can be ammo for future therapy for for months and even years, because so much can come can, can emerge
0: yeah uh, you said uh, you were are you short on time or uh, we were good? no no I'm good okay, but, awesome, I'd love to keep going, okay okay. <laughs>
3: No, this is fun, you're asking good questions and uh, yeah. Um, yeah, I like the way the two of you bounce off each other in, in good ways. And uh, um, so uh, I'm liking this whole thing. Just two
1: chimps over here and- uh... <laughs> no, You got three here total. <laughs> I don't
3: know
0: how well,
1: yeah. <laughs> I member. not remember. Yeah, I yeah. mean, that's a big one. And I like that you pointed that out about the the sense of your body and how that could be integrative as well and i've caught myself so many times where that was the message i got from my ayahuasca experience and i kind of ignored it hmm. so subtle but it was like during the experience i remember having a realization like oh fuck it. like i need to clear out my diet a bit i'm too acidic and uh-huh. then i kind of forgot about it cuz maybe i didn't journal it in or something and then uh, these problems still came back, and then when I went back for ayahuasca months later, it was like a slap in the face, like I told you the message and you, you ignored it, and then uh-huh, I, yeah,. yeah. Yep. And then I yep. integrated that afterwards, but that's a big right. one, too, that we all sometimes we think it's so psychological, but sometimes the integrative process is a
3: physical change.: Yeah. It can be very simple, like that, that's right, and very, very fundamental, like that. Which it's still a psychological
1: yeah. change, but it's manifesting in the physical.
2: Mm -hmm. maybe
0: it's Mm -hmm. the purest uh you know like that that spiritual ego again where you expect to just be changed by the medicine or it's like Mm -hmm. no you you've been given a gift of knowledge but like and like learning anything else in your life like if you are a scatterbrain and you need to agenda you need to schedule you need to you need post-its you need whatever you need like you know we're human uh Mm -hmm these these are not necessarily nootropics that are going to make you <laughs> remember the thing better you know you still need to learn, like it's like integrating any habit it's uh, that's right it's work it's work thank you
3: yeah that's a good way of putting it yeah it is
0: there's no dancing it around it anymore i guess you know it's just
3: no there's no avoiding it and uh um it's, there's it, it's 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 work uh and the beauty of it is um, uh, a good psychedelic, like MDMA, especially uh, can be uh, a fun way to uh, to to learn uh, and uh, and and a fun way to begin the work process. But I want to, I, 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 you know, there's one aspect of this, if you don't mind, that. I would like to, to talk about, because we haven't really touched on it today yet, and it's really fundamentally important, which is, especially when it comes to MDMA and some of these other medicines as well, but especially MDMA, because I like to call MDMA the chemical of connection, because it helps you connect not only with yourself, but to others, right? And we've spoken a little about that today. But Shelley and I have found... MDMA to serve as a kind of emotional superglue for relationships. It certainly is for us and for others we've known. And you probably have heard stories about, I mean, I hear stories all the time about people saying, yeah, we were about to split up and then we rolled together and, uh, oh yeah, we're about to get divorced and the kids were going to go split split up. And then we had a guided session and uh, now we're good. Um, and uh, it can really make an enormous difference for couples, uh, and help uh, transform their relationship, uh, and and help them deal with the, the issues that have stumped them and stymied them, tripped them up, and give them a whole new lease on life. Uh, and for people who, couples who are not suffering from this, it can just imbue like it has for for my wife and i uh their their relationship or their marriage with a whole other level of of joy and and celebration
2: hmm.
0: I, I i never even thought of that like in terms of like you know we're talking about it in terms of play and in terms of therapy like the benefits it's just the obvious like uh it's a it's like a lateral move but like in a good way like it's Of course. Yeah. Couples therapy or just like the, the best times you have within a relationship, you know, like being like playful and vulnerable and childlike. And it's like (laughs) you said, it's kind of everything we've been talking about. It makes too much sense. Yeah. It's amazing.
1: I have a friend who's been having these, these special moments with his partner where they take MDMA together and he's been messaging me saying that it is some of the most magical moments of their lives and that he was saying that it was, and when he was saying this to me, I, I was, cause I've only had that one experience and the way he was describing it is it also sparked my curiosity. Cause I, I didn't experience that, but what he was talking about was like this telepathic state of mind that they both kind of achieved and they weren't even communicating with the words. They were just so in tune with each other. Yes. And, and he said like the love was just almost like, too much where it was overwhelming <laughs> <laughs> we both just exploded back from like this this reality and they were just in this state of love
3: so i guess yes. like, and that sounds fun <laughs> <laughs> it it can be fun and it, it can be joyous yeah absolutely uh, and to have that and that's and you're, what you're talking about is is empathy uh yeah. where you're so tuned into your partner that you just and you know, by this time, after all these years, Shelly can, it, she, she knows what I'm thinking practically before I do. I mean, she's like, and and not and when we're sober because uh, we've done this, uh, this medicine so many times. So here's a question.
1: Before you two experienced the MDMA and after, how did that change the relationship or improve the relationship
3: well, uh, here, and here I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to come across as as boasting, but maybe I am because I did a lot of work on myself, like I was talking about earlier, because I wanted to avoid the mistakes of my first marriage. So finding um finding shelly and and recognizing who she was, even though she was different from anyone else I ever met. Uh, and so it took me a little while to realize significance to me, um, it was a, a revelation. So we are unusually compatible. Um, so we were good going in to this exploration. We didn't need it. Uh, we just wanted it. We just wanted, she wanted to explore and I decided to, to help her and, and, and join her in the exploration. So it was like I say, our, the icing on our cake. We already had the cake. We're mm-hmm. just very blessed in that way, um, uh, and it it just made we we would have been fine without MDMA. Uh, although our lives wouldn't have been as joyous as they've been in the last twenty years, uh, and uh, and there's another aspect of this that when it comes to relationship too is because there's a whole community around MDMA and around psychedelics. Uh, and around people who tend to become members of MAPS, for example, Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies. And so we've been swimming in these waters for 15 years and helped build the community here in New York City. And that's really added to our joy because um, uh, the people who do psychedelics, especially when you're past 18, 19, 20, 21, and you're doing them in ways that are more deliberate and and conscientious than you might as an adolescent, um, uh, you're going to hobnob with people who are among the most wonderful people you'd ever want to meet, people who are open-hearted and open-minded and explorational and really care about other people and themselves and their own growth and development and are good humored uh, and are, and become even more so from the use of the medicines, mm-hmm. the most wonderful people you'd ever wanna meet. And, and at least for Shelley and I, they've become uh, basically our best friends over, over the years. So, that's another way doing the medicine has transformed our lives is uh, uh, we discovered this, this whole community of, of fellow seekers. You know, one of the admonitions in the psychedelic uh, world is find the others and uh, we made it our business to. And uh, uh, so that's been uh, that's added to our, our joy and our whole sense of belonging in this crazy world connection we live in a crazy world and we all need a sense of belonging and this world is rife with loneliness and alienation as i'm sure you're aware and Mm. um so to have this tribe is priceless this Um, growing tribe it's a growing tribe. Yes, and a tribe around growing.
1: <laughs> that's right. It's feeding off of each and, other. Yeah. And yeah. that's that's a really beautiful point to to emphasize is the the expansive nature of this work is as you expand, you start to expand into others that are expanding. And mm-hmm. then you form these connections with people. And it's like we laugh about this, but some of the guests we've had on, you included, is like once you've kind of know what we're talking about have been to the spaces that we kind of share those moments of psychedelic experiences, there's like a deeper connection already. Yes. And have so much in common. Exactly. Yeah. And then you when you when you meet someone who's done the work as well, it's such a breath of fresh air, because
3: it's relatable, you know, Yeah. exactly. I like to say the best part of the psychedelic community isn't the psychedelics. It's the community.
0: i love that it's it's funny like i'm i keep having this kind of like um this uh comparison in my head between something like psilocybin and something like mdma and and you've emphasized like connection and people even feeling alienated and sad sometimes it's like they don't realize that's what they're missing
2: Mm. They,
0: they think they need to improve their lives somehow and it's like maybe part of that is true there there's this introspection there's something like psilocybin that's just going to give you these downloads and you're you know you're going to catch a fish because the net is so big uh and hopefully mm-hmm. you integrate and all that stuff but like the other side of that coin is so the, like the other side of that balance, really, to balance that is this connective, this openness that something like MDMA would does give, and I really yes. lighting me up because I feel like it's something I need right now
3: personally. Yes, well, we all do, and uh, and that's part of the integration process, is being with others and being with the the right others, that mm-hmm. that understand what you've gone through and and where you're at and what and what you're going through and are there to support you and cheer you on. That's part of the integration process. Mm-hmm. And I unfortunately have to say that I have just a, like, I, 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 I saw that I actually have a session coming up. Yeah. And uh, so I, I can, I have like three, four minutes left.
0: Yeah, that's a great way to end it. Honestly, where, uh, okay. I, I would love to have you back on another time in the future. So, uh, sure, i am be happy uh, to. Awesome, man. Any, any closing anything uh i think we said it all i, I don't mean
3: well if i may um since you're giving me the opportunity uh, uh, uh you can find listening to ecstasy on uh, amazon and if you don't like amazon these days and a lot of people don't mm-hmm. and i can understand that you can find it on the simon and schuster website uh listening to ecstasy and the transformative power of mdma and you can get the print edition, or as you say, the audio edition, and um, a reading, joy.
2: Right?
3: Well, which I narrate, and it's a joy giving voice to my voice. <laughs> it's, uh, um, it was it was really a pleasure to to be involved with that. So um, uh, so thanks for the opportunity here to come on and plug my book and and uh, and explore all these topics with with the two of you because they're, they're very meaningful to me and it's really where I live and so um thank you very much
1: thank yeah. you very much it shows man yeah
3: we're
0: grateful yeah. to have you uh, we know you're in a rush there so we'll let you go but okay. all right. the pleasure was all ours okay
1: thank <laughs> you. Yeah. all right everybody. all right stay curious take care take care take care
3: stay curious indeed <laughs>